Welcome to the podcast of San Diego First Church of the Nazarene. My name is Dee Kelly, and I'm one of the pastors here at the church. And as always, we invite you, if you are ever able, to come join us for our Sunday morning services or midweek programming. We are located at 3901 Loma Land Drive in the Point Loma area of San Diego. And our website is sdfcnaz.com, and you can find information about us there. This is... Um, all uh, the day before All Saints Day, Hallowed Eve, and it is a wonderful time for remembering, remembering those who have gone before us, those who have passed away and have helped provide a pathway, footsteps that we can follow that guide us in our journey. My mother's passing was seven years ago yesterday, and it was a wonderful opportunity for my sister and I to talk about Um, the memories that we have and the things we carry on in terms of the legacy of my mom. And so, during this season of All Saints Day, what a wonderful time to speak about those who have gone before us and have left us a rich heritage. It's also a wonderful segue into the passage of Scripture that we're looking at, which reminds us, helps us to remember what Christ's death has done for us. And so we are in a series on Hebrews, and this morning we are in Hebrews chapter 9, verses 11 through 14. Whether on your electronic device or in your um, scriptures, your Bible, I hope you can open up to that passage and follow along as we dig into this passage together. Hebrews, as you might recall from previous um, podcasts, is a book that is rich and deep and thick with ideas and arguments and statements that guide us deeper into the faith. It is also very Jewish, and sometimes it is difficult to read through some of the profound arguments of this book without, for most of us, a deep Jewish background that would help us to understand those things. One of those things is an understanding of the sacrificial system, which is throughout the Old Testament and certainly fills the nature of this book in terms of what is assumed that the reader knows about that sacrificial system, or at least about the Old Testament's statements about those things. And so we'll look a little more closely at that in a few moments. It is also a book, and certainly in chapters 4 through 10, there is this deep, profound defense of Jesus as the great high priest, greater than any other that had come before, the final high priest. And so in chapter 9, we come toward the end, but still um, in the midst of this long presentation making the case for Jesus. Why would the author spend so much time doing that? Well, we presume that at this time, those who had become followers of Christ out of the Jewish faith are receiving a great deal of pressure to let go of this following of Jesus and move back into the Jewish standard, the Jewish ways of following the direction of the high priest and continuing to engage in the sacrificial system. And at the same time, receiving a great deal of pressure for the oppression that comes from the Roman Empire. These two forces are 
causing some to rethink, to reconsider this faith commitment they have made to Christ. And the writer of Hebrews is making a profound plea that there is nothing that has ever occurred or will ever occur that is more powerful, more important than understanding who Christ is and what Christ has done on our behalf. And so that is where we step into the argument in Hebrews chapter 9. Let me read the passage for us, beginning in verse 11 and going through verse 14. When Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made, that is to say, not part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, references to the blood of goats and calves um, and heifers and bulls and those things sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean. All of that feels like very foreign language to us. It not only feels foreign, but in some ways it feels a bit horrific, this description of animal sacrifices that is certainly not part of our daily lives or our routine. But it certainly was for the people who are hearing this, with a profound appreciation for the foundations of their faith, the law given to Moses and the expectations for how people would be able to come into God's presence or to stay pure in the midst of their journey as a community. So among those things was a recognition that there are things that separate us from one another and things that separate us from God. Actions, acts. Things that create a barrier. The commandments that tell us what we should not do because they create barriers between ourselves and a neighbor. We can find those throughout the Old Testament. They are part of the Ten Commandments. There are six that reference things that separate us from one another. And in order to cleanse us, to allow us to move back into community, there is a sacrifice that must be made. And the sacrifice in many ways is simply a reminder of the price that's paid for sin. The price, very simply in scripture, is that the wages of sin is death. That there is a death that occurs when we violate God's law. It's part of the storyline that begins with Adam and Eve and this prohibition of eating uh, one particular tree and that the punishment would be death. The aid of the tree 
Um, some might say, what happened to the death? Well, it wasn't an immediate death, but it was a curse of death that was placed on all humankind, that disobedience begins to eat away at our soul, at our heart. It begins to strip us away of our humanity, of the image of God that's been stamped on us. Bit by bit, we begin to separate ourselves and create a distance between ourselves and others and ourselves and God. And in so doing, a portion of us perishes till eventually there is nothing left and we have lost all of who we are. So the wages of sin, those things that separate us from one another and separate us from God, is death. And so the sacrificial system becomes a regular reminder for the people that death is the consequence of the type of disobedience that destroys our relationships, both horizontally with one another and vertically with God. So the sacrificial system was intended to be put in place not only as a reminder, but as a way by which we might re-enter into a clean relationship with others and with God. And so the sacrifices of animals that was done was an attempt to restore relationship. And we have several sacrifices that are mentioned here. There is a sacrifice of goats and calves and bulls and a heifer. All of these take us back to specific places in the Old Testament. There are um, some specific uh, references in the Old Testament that seem to be uh, part of what is written by the writer of Hebrews here. One is in um, Numbers chapter 19, verse 11. And in that passage, we have a, um, a pathway back to cleanliness for those who have intentionally or inadvertently come into contact with a, a dead person maybe walked into a tent not knowing that somebody inside had passed away. And as a virtue of that, or by virtue of touching an unclean, uh, the uncleanliness of a dead person in the process of burial, they would need to be cleansed because that was something that made a person unclean. And so there is a process, a sacrifice mentioned in Numbers chapter 19, verse 11 and following, that was an effort to provide cleansing for that individual that they might once again re-engage with community. It was a purging, if you will, that made this person outwardly clean. We'll come back to that outward cleansing, cleansing in a few moments. In Leviticus 16 and in other places, we have the reference that we think Hebrews is talking about when it speaks about the blood of goats and calves. The high priests were allowed to go into the holy place. They were also allowed at the altar to make regular sacrifices on behalf of the people. But once a year, into the Holy of Holies, the priest would go to make sacrifice in a process called the Day of Atonement. There were three parts to this process of the Day of Atonement, and this is an oversimplification of it. But the priest would go in first and make a sacrifice 
on behalf of himself and his family. The belief being that the priest couldn't offer sacrifices on behalf of others until he was first cleansed. And so he would go in first and offer these sacrifices, the blood of an animal, and sprinkle it in front of the ark, um, the sacred mercy seat. Then he would go back out, perform another sacrifice of an animal, and take that blood and go back into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle it as a sacrifice on behalf of the sins of the people. Then the third part would be that he would have a goat brought to him, and over the head of the goat, he would proclaim or confess all of the sins of the people. And then the goat would be taken out into the wilderness and sent away. It was called the scapegoat. And it's from this story that we get our term that we use in our English language today, the scapegoat. The one who carries the weight of all of the burden of others and is sent away. So here we have this sacrificial system that is described in the Old Testament being referenced here by the writer of Hebrews in the New Testament. And it is a way by which to set up the defense of Jesus again as the great high priest. We have, since middle portion of chapter 4, this discussion of Jesus as the high priest. Here is one more powerful argument proclaiming that priests would go into the temple day after day, year after year, and make these sacrifices on behalf of the people. And they would make them clean on the outside, able to re-engage with their neighbors and community. But once again, there would be sins that would be committed and the sacrificial system would have to be engaged in again and again and again and again and again. There was never any hope for something being done that would put an end to the sacrificial system because there was this awareness of continual disobedience that took place against our Creator. I'd like to pause just a moment in this argument about Jesus being the great high priest and acknowledge that there is something very interesting proclaimed in Hebrews and in the Old Testament. And it doesn't make us very comfortable because these things we kind of cringe against in our modern day. And one is that part of the sacrificial system was to make atonement for unintentional sins. It was very clearly in the Day of Atonement that these are sins that the people were unaware of, that what was confessed was the sin of the people in what they did, whether they were aware of it or not, it broke the relationship with others and with God. And in so doing, it became a breach of that which was relational and essential to being part of this community of people that were living together and following God. It's true for us as well. Whether we like to admit it or not, there are things that we do that may not be motivated by intentional 
um, anger or, or deceit or whatever the case might be. But unintentionally, we can offend others over and over again. And we find our defenses going up when somebody accuses of us of offending them if we didn't intend it. Our argument is simply that. But that was not my intent. That was not my motivation. Well, we have throughout the Old Testament and here in Hebrews this acknowledgement that our unintentional actions can create a breach in relationship and that calls for atonement. Confessing those things, as uncomfortable as that might be, because they have created hardship or problems or pain for someone else, regardless of our intent or our motivation. The second piece that we find here, particularly in the description of the Day of Atonement, that the confession over the goat that would be sent out into the wilderness was the confession of the sins of the Israelites. The implication is that there are sins that happen that are part of the community, whether the individual intended to do it or not, because they are part of the community, they have offended God or offended someone else. And it is described as sin. It is very difficult for us to hold the notion that we have sinned just because we are part of a group that contributed to some atrocity or some painful circumstance or something that disenfranchised or marginalized somebody and put them at a distance. We, we claim that individually we didn't do that regardless of what the community did. And yet, in Leviticus, it was very clear that the confession of the sins of the community so that we might be restored to right relationship. So often we want to be right more than we want to be in relationship and we refuse to acknowledge that we are part of a community that has done things wrong because we want to be right. But instead, this teaches us the necessity of acknowledging sinfulness that comes through group dynamics, through community efforts. And those need atonement as well. So then we come back to the defense of Jesus as the great high priest. Jesus came as the perfect sacrifice, the unblemished one, the one who had not sinned offered himself unto death. He describes that in his statements even prior to death as he speaks to those who are in power and said that this couldn't happen unless I offered myself to it. Offers himself as a sacrifice on our behalf. The shed blood of Jesus becomes the cleansing portion of our life. He goes through the heavenly temple or tabernacle. Not part of this creation, not man-made, but it is the thing to which those things point. They are but a shadow of that which God has prepared to make us clean and to make us holy. And so Jesus goes through that tabernacle and offers himself as the perfect sacrifice and makes atonement once for all, 
both now and forever, establishing for us a pathway to God. Religion and the priests, they were intended to provide a pathway of access to God, but instead they became a block. No one but the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies for the Day of Atonement. No one but the priesthood could offer sacrifices at the altar. The people could bring their sacrifices, but they were limited to this outer courtyard area. There was no access to the holy place. So the priests, probably not originally intended this way, somehow became a block to access to God, not the pathway of access to God. But Jesus ripped the veil that separated the outer courtyard from the inner holy of holies, separated it in two, and forever invited us into the sacred place of communion with God. The problem with the sacrificial system was that it cleansed outwardly so that one might be readmitted into the community. The outward fixes the breach of relationship with others. But it's the inward heart, that which has its tendency towards sin, that needs cleansing so that we might be readmitted into the fellowship of our Creator, into relationship with the one who made us, who loves us most, knows us best, and sacrificed on our behalf that we might be in relationship. So God, through Christ, cleanses the inward, my conscious, my awareness. It's not just guilt that is taken away. It's redemption. It's that Jesus has paid the price for my freedom. I love the old adage that when I come to Christ and ask forgiveness, I get all of God, God's mercy and grace but God doesn't get all of me. The access we have to what God provides, we look past it and we work so hard to try and earn God's love, grateful for forgiveness, and try and do our best to make everything right and to fix up our lives. And we find over and over again that we make a mess. I think of a trail that I sometimes do here in Southern California in the San Diego area. It is a trail that at its um, halfway point, for me anyway, the pathway that I take, there is a steep incline that is on um, pure dirt, nothing much to hang on to. And it happens to be that the top of this incline that is probably about 20 to 25 feet high. Um, there is a water stream that tends to come down this incline um, when there's been enough rain to cause uh, water to do that. I have tried on a couple of occasions to go up that incline and it becomes uh, so slippery that if you misstep, which you almost always will, you'll just slide back down to the bottom of the hillside. It just becomes a muddy slope that is slick as can be. It was 
early on, um, the very first time that I tried it and found myself slipping again and again near the base, and I thought there's no way I can get to the top, but I knew that Minnie had taken this pathway. I just couldn't figure out what the way was to get up, and then I noticed off to the side, all dirty because, um, almost invisible because it was so dirty and blended into the hillside was a rope that someone who had gone before had provided a rope that was attached to the top of the hill to a, a tree that was growing into the side of the hill near the top. And this rope, when you'd grab hold of it, you could easily take your steps and pull yourself up the side of this incline. And it hardly mattered how slick it was because if you stood at the correct angle, your feet could get enough grip and your arms could pull you up and you could easily make it to the top. What seemed impossible and what produced so many failures, all of a sudden realizing that somebody had gone before me and provided a pathway, made it easy if I just grabbed hold of that which was so simple. Same thing is true in my spiritual journey. Having worked so hard to fix everything and get it right, I find myself having slipped back down to the bottom of the hill again and again and again and again. The wonderful proclamation of the New Testament is that Jesus forgives. Seventy times seven is the admonition for us how much more our Heavenly Father forgives us. But it's no longer by the blood of sheep or goats or heifers or bulls. It is by what Christ has done. And Christ has always created a way, a rope that we can hold on to, a pathway of access that brings us into communion and cleanses us not only from our outward uncleanness but from that which is within. Does it mean we won't ever slip again? No. Does it mean we won't have struggles? Well, absolutely not. We sometimes join in the suffering of those who have gone before us. Does it mean we have it all figured out? Absolutely not. But it means that in every circumstance, in every situation, Jesus has provided a way. A way for us to have confidence. Confidence that our Lord does not condemn us, but instead has freed us. One of my all-time favorite passages, I'm sure if you've been around long, you've heard me reference it before, is Romans chapter 6. It states how this is not to lead us down the pathway of just more sinning because there is so much grace, but instead to move in a relationship that changes us from the inside out, that begins to pull us up the hill away from those things that easily beset us and tear us down. The passage says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace may abound? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried together with him through baptism unto death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we've been buried with him in his death, we will also be risen with him in his resurrection. We are no longer trapped by sin is what this passage says, but we are free, free to try, free to fail, 
free to love. Because of what Christ has done, we are free. The argument here is for Jesus as the great high priest who has made this possible. And what is possible is the invitation to life more abundantly. Life more than we ever dreamed possible. Life that takes us past those things that beset us over and over again and leave us feeling frustrated and guilty and leads us into a pathway of grace where God works through Christ in our inmost being so that God might have all of us and that Christ's image stamped within will lead us on a pathway that takes us ever higher and higher in our journey of following God. Well, I pray this for you this morning. Lord God, thank you for all you have done. Thank you for how you watch over us and have guided us. In this morning, I pray for all of us who have struggled again and again with the things that drag us down, with the things that make us feel unclean, and even those things that we are unaware of, unintentional, or part of a community that really make us unclean, whether we even know it or not, we confess we are in desperate need of you, our great high priest, and the sacrifice that you have provided. Cleanse us inwardly and outwardly. Cleanse us as a community. Bring us in our faith into relationship with one another. Bridge the the chasms that we have created and help us to find new pathways to love one another. And then, Lord, create access for us to you. And the many chasms that we have created that have breached this relationship, thank you for the bridge that you've provided, the rope that lays right beside us, that if we'll grab hold, we can move closer and closer in our relationship to you, that we might be cleansed and set free. Thank you, Lord. We praise your wonderful name. And now I pray that God's face shines on you and through you. God's spirit abides with you and that you might have peace this day and this week. I look forward to when we are together again.